Thank you, children, for all of the hard work and for that wonderful presentation. Really good job. And thank you for the adult leaders who are involved in leading them through that process. Thank you very much. And happy Easter, everybody. Happy Resurrection Weekend. Well, there was a lot of activity that first Easter morning around the tomb of Jesus. I would love to have time-lapse photography of all the comings and going that was, that was happening at that particular dawn, that particular morning. Uh, we would have seen some interesting things. We would have seen a, an earthquake. We would have seen a stone rolled away. We would have seen angels. We would have seen a couple of unconscious guards. We would have seen ladies coming and going and disciples coming and going. Uh, there was a lot of movement and a lot of activity happening. And everybody seemed to be bewildered. Everybody seemed to be in shock. They didn't quite know what to do. Some went away with instructions that they forgot immediately uh, to tell the disciples to meet Jesus in, in, in Galilee. They forgot to tell the disciples. Some became silent and didn't say anything about what they saw. And uh, it's just a fascinating story of, of people coming and going and witnesses uh, then later telling the story of, of what they saw from their perspective. Well, Mary Magdalene was one of the first of the disciples that went to the tomb that morning. And she saw the stone had been removed from the front of the tomb. And her first thought was that grave robbers had stolen his body. Perhaps even friends of Jesus had come and taken his body. But that was her first inclination, John chapter 20, verse 2. She doesn't go in the tomb, apparently this very first time she looks at the tomb, but instead she runs to tell Peter and John the story of what she saw. Peter, John, and we find out Mary followed Jesus or followed the disciples back to the tomb. And, and Peter and John are running. We're not told that Mary runs. But she seems to arrive a little bit later. Peter and John go into the tomb, Mary stands on the outside, and they see the strips of cloth laying where Jesus' body had been, the burial cloth that had been around his head and strips of linen that had been around his body. They were all lying neatly on the bench. In John's gospel, this is what makes the light go on in John's head that Jesus has risen from the dead. He believes at that moment in the resurrection when he sees the way the burial materials were laying on the bench. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So John and Peter leave and go back to the other disciples. Mary hangs around the tomb for a little while, crying. This is where our story picks up. John chapter 20, verse 10 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. We thank you for John's gospel and for the way John describes what happened in the tomb and and Peter and John and Mary and all the others who come and see and and, uh, it's revealed to them that you have been raised from the dead. Lord, we thank you that that you're a resurrecting kind of God and we thank you. Thank you for the resurrection and for what that means to our lives. Lord, I pray that we would see the significance of what that John, the gospel writer, is trying to tell us in this story. And I pray that we would take it to heart and live accordingly. In your name we pray. Amen. So the gospel writer John wants us to understand some things that the other gospel writers don't mention. Now, we have to understand that John is writing from a little bit different perspective than the other gospel writers. The other gospel writers are called the synoptic writers. John, we think, is writing a little bit later in time. And John is more interested in telling us theology and not just telling us the history of what happened. So, so John's gospel is a little... A little different from the synoptics in that he's, he's perhaps uh, throwing into his gospel story some deep dive into some of the meaning of the things that are going on. And, and we see that John uh, doesn't include as many miracles as the other gospel writers, and each of the miracles is significant in its own way. And uh, John has uh, these themes that run through his gospel that the other writers uh, uh, tend, tend not to notice or, or to take into uh, consideration. So first of all, I want to see that the resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11 gives us deeper insight into what happens at the tomb. In John's gospel, the resurrection of Lazarus is the very beginning of Holy Week. In fact, the resurrection of Lazarus, just before the triumphant entry, is what prompts the desperation of the Jewish leaders to uh, put Jesus to death. For them, it's the last straw. And uh, they then realize that the the, uh, authority and the power and the popularity of Jesus is out of control, and they really need to do something about it. Now, what John wants to tell us by showing the resurrection of Lazarus just before Holy Week and then at the end of Holy Week, the resurrection of Jesus, is that all the other resurrections in Scripture are different from the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, uh, if we use the term resurrection, we're using it in a general sense when we talk about the other resurrections in Scripture. Actually, when you count them, there are eight resurrections in Scripture beside Jesus. But each of the other resurrections, we could really call them resuscitations because they're not quite like the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is different. All the other people who are raised from the dead in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, they're going to die again. Lazarus is going to die again. Uh, he He is going to live out his life and die, and he's going to be buried again. Uh, But Jesus is raised in his resurrection immortal. He receives a spiritual body as we will at the resurrection of the dead. And John is trying to give us some insight by contrasting the resurrection of Lazarus at the beginning of Holy Week with the resurrection of Jesus at the end of Holy Week. Do you remember that during the resurrection of Lazarus, they had to remove the stone? 
Jesus commanded them, those who were standing around, and they, they went to the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus says, you know, go and remove the stone. They had to remove it. But the stone didn't need to be removed by anybody at Jesus' resurrection because it was rolled away by an angel during an earthquake. And so it's interesting to see that, that while human endeavor was needed in the resurrection of Lazarus, there was no such need in the resurrection of, G- of Jesus. For Lazarus, the stone was removed so that he could get out. For Jesus, the stone is removed so the disciples could get in. His new body didn't need the stone to be removed because he could appear and disappear at will. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that like Jesus? Him removing the obstacles so that we can get to see him. Isn't it a wonderful declaration that Mary Magdalene makes to the disciples at the end of our story? She says, I have seen the Lord. Well, Jesus is at work today removing stones, removing the big rocks, removing the things that would hinder us from seeing him. This is the kind of God we serve, a God who removes obstacles so that we can see him clearly. Notice as well in the story of Lazarus that when he came out of the tomb, he was all wrapped up in grave clothes. And Jesus told the disciples, go and unwrap him, free him from the bindings. And in the story of the resurrection of Jesus, there's no need to unwrap Jesus. Uh, Grave clothes are laying on the shelf as if he had just ascended out of the grave clothes and they were laying there neatly exactly as they were been had they had been around him. This is what convinces John of the resurrection. As I said earlier, if robbers or friends had come and stolen his body, they wouldn't have taken the time to have neatly unwrapped him. Uh, At most, they would have ripped the clothes off, uh, but probably they would have left them on and carried him away wrapped up. Now, uh, the gospel in chapter 19, verse 39, tells us, that myrrh was used in wrapping the strips around Jesus's body. Myrrh was a kind of ointment that was used, and it's very sticky, very glue-like. And this is what made the, the strips of linen stick together and also stick to the body. So it was no easy feat to unwrap the body of Jesus. And because they would stick together, it would be quite messy in getting them off. And so when John looks into the tomb and he sees those strips of linen laying neatly, he's saying, wow, that really couldn't have happened except that Jesus had somehow been transported or disappeared or ascended through that material. That is amazing. And it convinces him that Jesus had risen from the dead. In other words, this is no usual resurrection. This is not a resuscitation. It's a transformation of the body of Jesus. Jesus receives a new kind of body, a spiritual body, unlike all the other resurrections that we see in Scripture. But not only does John use the Lazarus resuscitation to teach us about the resurrection and about what we can look forward to with our resurrection— Look at what Mary sees when she finally looks into the tomb in John chapter 20, verse 12. Two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Wow, 
interesting details for John to be telling us. N.T. Wright in Broken Signposts, uh, his book Broken Signposts points this out. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle lamb's blood on the mercy seat in the holiest of holies in the temple. Now, the mercy seat was a covering for the Ark of the Covenant. It was basically a slab of pure gold sitting on the mercy seat. And on either end of this slab were cherubim. In other words, angels. Now, you get where I'm going here. This seat, this slab, where the lamb's blood was, was sprinkled for atonement on the Day of Atonement once in a year for the sins of the Jewish people, these angels and this slab look very much like the shelf that Jesus was laid on with angels at either end, because cherubim are angels. This seat, this slab of pure gold, was by the Jewish people called the propitiation. Now, that's a $10 word, isn't it? A five-syllable word, a pr the propitiation. Now, here's the understanding of what that is. Now, God is opposed to everything that is evil. In this opposition by God to everything that is evil, in biblical language, is called his wrath. Now, it's not like human wrath. When we think of human wrath as being kind of out of control or being maniac or being uh, mad or very emotional, uh, God's wrath in Scripture is perceived as his opposition against anything that is evil. And the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement in, in Israel's uh, practices put away the wrath of God against evil for that time in that place for that group of people. So John shows us through Mary's eyes that Jesus was laid on the mercy seat and his blood, which would have soaked through and been on that shelf, is like the lamb's blood. Now, John loves this image of Jesus being the lamb of God. Really early in his gospel, John the baptizer sees Jesus coming and he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now we have this picture of the lamb of God laying on the mercy seat, providing atonement, but not just once, for a year. This is once and for all. He puts away the wrath of God against all evil and allows us free access to the Father. John, the gospel writer, we believe is also John, the writer of the book of Revelation. And we see the Lamb again, seated in the book of Revelation, but not on the mercy seat anymore. He's moved from the mercy seat. He's sitting on the throne of God the lamb that was slain. And he has a voice like a lion. He's in charge of the universe. He moves from the mercy seat to the very throne of God, the most powerful, the most authoritative in all of creation. So John, the gospel writer, gives us two very unique insights into the resurrection. First of all, this is not another resurrection like the others. It's not a resuscitation. This is a transformation from one kind of life to another kind of life. A new kind of body 
is given to Jesus. And this is good news, for we too will be transformed. At the sound of the trumpet, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, we too will be transformed like Jesus and receive a whole new kind of body, a whole new kind of life, a whole new kind of existence. Secondly, we find out that this death is more than simply a moral example for us. It's more than simply a great injustice that was done to the Son of God. His death, in fact, puts away the wrath of God. He dies for us that we might be fully alive. He makes a way for us to access eternal life and everlasting life. We must choose to believe. Wow. John has some important insights for us that are, that are so uh, helpful in, in the struggles of our everyday living, in the, in the challenges of our everyday life. We need to remember this about Jesus. This was no ordinary death. This was no ordinary resurrection. And this is no ordinary outcome. This is the death of God's Son. This resurrection is a transformation to everlasting life. This event changes history forever. Something supernatural happened. A new way of relating to God has been opened up to us. I pray that you have believed. I pray that you trust. I pray that you have received his life in yours. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that we can look forward to the resurrection of our own lives, the resurrection of our own bodies, the transformation. Thank you, Lord. Um, And as we go through this life and we struggle with all the stuff that that is part of this life, we, we recognize that we have this hope, this transformation hope. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us on the mercy seat. We thank you that once for all, you have put away the wrath of God. You have satisfied God that we can come and have free access to the Father because of you, that you have made a way. Thank you, Lord. I pray for those who are listening to my voice, who have not yet received, not yet believed, not yet opened up their hearts to you. I pray that they would today. And for those of us who have, Lord, I pray that we would open up more and more of our lives to you. Come, Lord Jesus, into every aspect of our lives. You are the risen Lord. You are Lord of the universe. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you thanks. Amen. Let's continue to worship, and I'll come back with a concluding comment. There's a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that I wanted to read to you at the conclusion of our service. I think this is a wonderful passage that gives us hope, and I think this hope all resides or rests in the fact of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 58 says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of God, to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't think there could be more fitting words for us today than those words. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know, you know that your labor is not in vain. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. May the Lord be with you all. Amen.